0: Hello, everybody. It's August 27th, and I'm so glad that this moment finds you listening to this podcast, episode 239 of the One Year Bible Tour. My name is David McAdam, and I'm happy to serve as your tour guide, encouraging you to read along with me each day as we make our way through all 66 books of the Bible in a year. This is not a contest, but it is a challenge and a worthwhile goal. We have made progress reading through the Old and New Testaments. We're about 65% of the way through, and I hope that you're finding the commentary helpful. Our intention is to highlight observations from our Bible reading that you won't want to miss. The goal is not just to receive information, but to let the Word of God do its work of transformation. We want to gain understanding of what God is giving of His self-revelation through the various books of the Bible. The book of Job reads like a courtroom drama where Job is being accused by his three friends and seeks to defend himself. Job has endured two rounds of criticism from Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and in chapter 22, which we read yesterday, round three began as Eliphaz returned to make further charges against Job, making it plain that there must be a streak of self-deception and wickedness in him because he has suffered so. Job answers Eliphaz's third speech in the passage we start with today. He seeks a mediator, a defender, an upright man to argue on his behalf. He needs the advocate that Jesus proves to be. We read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 in the New Testament, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So let's start reading with Job chapter 23 as Job responds to Eliphaz's third speech. Chapter 23 job replies where is god verse 1 then job answered and said today also my complaint is bitter my hand is heavy on account of my groaning oh that i knew where i might find him that i might come even to his seat i would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments i would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me would he contend with me in the greatness of his power no he would pay attention to me. There an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps, I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. But he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. Therefore I am terrified at his presence. When I consider, I am in dread of him. God has made my heart faint. THE ALMIGHTY HAS TERRIFIED ME, YET I AM NOT SILENCED BECAUSE OF THE DARKNESS, NOR BECAUSE THICK DARKNESS COVERS MY FACE. CHAPTER twenty-four. WHY ARE NOT TIMES OF JUDGEMENT KEPT BY THE ALMIGHTY, AND WHY DO THOSE WHO KNOW HIM NEVER SEE HIS DAYS? SOME MOVE LANDMARKS, THEY SEIZE FLOCKS AND PASTURE THEM, THEY DRIVE AWAY THE DONKEY OF THE FATHERLESS, THEY TAKE THE WIDOW'S OX FOR A PLEDGE. They thrust the poor off the road, the poor of the earth all hide themselves. Behold, like wild donkeys in the desert, the poor go out to their toil, seeking game. The wasteland yields food for their children. They gather their fodder in the field, and they glean the vineyard of the wicked man. They lie all night naked, without clothing, and have no covering in the cold." They are wet with the rain of the mountains, and cling to the rock for lack of shelter. There are those who snatch the fatherless child from the breast, and they take a pledge against the poor. They go about naked, without clothing, hungry, they carry the sheaves, among the olive rows of the wicked, they make oil, they tread the wine-presses, but suffer thirst, from out of the city the dying groan, and the soul of the wounded cries for help yet God charges no one with wrong. There are those who rebel against the light, who are not acquainted with its ways, and do not stay in its paths. The murderer rises before it is light, that he may kill the poor and needy, and in the night he is like a thief. The eye of the adulterer also waits for the twilight, saying, No eye will see me, and he veils his face. In the dark they dig through houses, by day, they shut themselves up; they do not know the light for deep darkness is morning to all of them, for they are friends with the terrors of deep darkness. You say, swift are they on the face of the waters, their portion is cursed in the land, no treader turns toward their vineyards. Drought and heat snatch away the snow waters, so does shale those who have sinned. The womb forgets them, the worm finds them sweet. They are no longer remembered, so wickedness is broken like a tree. They wrong the barren, childless woman, and do no good to the widow. Yet God prolongs the life of the mighty by His power. They rise up when they despair of life. He gives them security, and they are supported, and His eyes are upon their ways. They are exalted a little while, and then are gone. They are brought low, and gathered up like all others they are cut off like the heads of grain. If it is not so, who will prove me a liar and show that there is nothing in what I say? Chapter 25 Bildad Speaks Man Cannot Be Righteous Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, Dominion and fear are with God. He makes peace in his high heaven. Is there any number to his armies? Upon whom does his light not arise? How then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of a woman be pure? Behold, even the moon is not bright, and the stars are not pure in his eyes. How much less man, who is a maggot, and the son of man, who is a worm? Chapter 26 Job replies, God's majesty is unsearchable. Then Job answered and said, How you have helped him who has no power! How you have saved the arm that has no strength! How you have counseled him who has no wisdom and plentifully declared sound knowledge. With whose help have you uttered words, and whose breath has come out of you? The dead tremble under the waters and their inhabitants. Sheol is naked before God, and Abaddon has no covering. He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not split open under them. HE COVERS THE FACE OF THE FULL MOON AND SPREADS OVER IT HIS CLOUD. HE HAS INSCRIBED A CIRCLE ON THE FACE OF THE WATERS, AT THE BOUNDARY BETWEEN LIGHT AND DARKNESS. THE PILLARS OF HEAVEN TREMBLE AND ARE ASTOUNDED AT HIS REBUKE. BY HIS POWER HE STILLED THE SEA, BY HIS UNDERSTANDING HE SHATTERED RAHAB, BY HIS WIND THE HEAVENS WERE MADE FAIR, HIS HAND PIERCED THE FLEEING SERPENT. BEHOLD, THESE ARE BUT THE OUTSKIRTS OF HIS WAYS and how small a whisper do we hear of him! But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Chapter 27 Job continues, I will maintain my integrity. And Job again took up his discourse and said, As God lives, who has taken away my right, and the Almighty, who has made my soul bitter, As long as my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak falsehood, and my tongue will not utter deceit. Far be it from me to say that you are right. Till I die I will not put away my integrity from me. I hold fast my righteousness, and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days. Let my enemy be as the wicked, and let him who rises up against me be as the unrighteous. For what is the hope of the godless when God cuts him off, when God takes away his life? Will God hear his cry when distress comes upon him? Will he take delight in the Almighty? Will he call upon God at all times? I will teach you concerning the hand of God. What is with the Almighty I will not conceal. Behold, all of you have seen it yourselves. Why then have you become altogether vain? This is the portion of a wicked man with God and the heritage that oppressors receive from the Almighty. If his children are multiplied, it is for the sword, and his descendants have not enough bread. Those who survive him, the pestilence buries, and his widows do not weep. Though he heap up silver like dust, and pile up clothing like clay, he may pile it up, but the righteous will wear it, and the innocent will divide the silver. He builds his house like a moth's, like a booth that a watchman makes. He goes to bed rich but will do so no more. He opens his eyes and his wealth is gone. Terrors overtake him like a flood. In the night a whirlwind carries him off. The east wind lifts him up and he is gone. It sweeps him out of his place. It hurls at him without pity. He flees from its power in headlong flight. It claps its hands at him and hisses at him from its place. This concludes today's reading from the Old Testament passage from the book of Job. Job is now in his third round of facing the critiques of his friends. He has already heard two rounds of the pious but false interpretations of his friends Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Eliphaz made the charge in chapter 22 that Job's suffering was the result of his sins. He appeals to Job to consider the sins that accompany those who are wealthy He sets forth the conditions for fellowship with God, and he is not far off, but he presumes that Job's problem is that his fellowship with God has been broken through his wrongdoing. Job now responds to Eliphaz's charges in chapter 23. Job lets Eliphaz know that his counsel is insufficient and an oversimplification. Understanding the working of God and sensing God's presence is not always easy. He is learning the hard lesson of trust. He is learning to be patient and wait for God to come through. He expresses his longing for God. He wants to hold on to Him, but confesses that he cannot find Him. Oh, that I knew where I might find Him, that I may come to His seat. Job chapter 23, verse 3 This is a reminder that we must not give pat answers when people are going through hard times. We should encourage trust, but we should not presume that we have all the answers. Once again, Job anticipates the gospel. He knows he has need for a mediator to reason with God on his behalf. There the upright would reason with him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. Job chapter 23, verse 7 Although Job cannot discern God's presence and working, he affirms that God is in control of what he is going through and that God is doing something to refine him. But he knows the way I take when he has tried me i shall come forth as gold job chapter 23 verse 10 job still knows that god's commandment is true and his word is to be desired i have not departed from the command of his lips i have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food job chapter 23 verse 12 do we desire his word above our necessary food Job expresses confidence in the midst of his confusion. He knows he is baffled to be able to fight better, for he performs what is appointed for me, and many such decrees are with him. Job chapter 23 verse 14. God's workings are not accidents, but are purposed for his good reasons. Job admits that he is experiencing darkness, the dark night of the soul, a form of spiritual depression. It is God who has made my heart faint and the Almighty who has dismayed me. But I am not silenced by the darkness, nor deep gloom which covers me. Job chapter 23 verses 16 and 17. Why is God not intervening? Job asks. In chapter 24, Job describes the evil and darkness in this Genesis 3 world. Why does God seem to be a billion miles away? Job is longing for all that is to be found in Jesus Christ. He is crying out, For our Emmanuel, God with us, the light of the world, the Savior of the world, the one who makes all things new. Then in chapter 25, we read Bildad's short speech in round three. Job's accusers are running out of steam. Bildad's brief speech is the last one from the three. So far, we'll drop out of the third round. This shows that Job's three friends are not prepared to go beyond their presuppositions, their imperfect knowledge. Job was thrown into the fiery furnace of his trial with the testimony that he was in a right relationship with God through faith in his promise. He is knowing the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. Abel believed God and was killed by his jealous brother. Was he killed because he did something wrong? No, he did what was right. Joseph was imprisoned. Was he imprisoned because he did something wrong or right? He was doing what was right. Daniel's friends were thrown into the furnace was it because they did something wrong or right? They did what was right. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, not because of something he did wrong, but something right. Bildad's speech is the shortest in the book. He focuses on power in chapter 25 verses 1 through 3 and justice in verses 4 through 6. We cannot argue with Bildad's statements. Bildad asks the ancient question that should cause us to long for the perfect redeeming work of Jesus Christ. How then can a man be just, made right with God? Or how can he be clean who is born of a woman? Job chapter 25 verse 4. The gospel of Jesus Christ answers this question. Job replies that God's majesty is unsearchable. He speaks of the wonders of creation including the planet's position in space he stretches out the north over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. Job chapter 26 verse 7. In chapter 27, Job seems to pause, anticipating that Zophar would have something to say after Bildad. But Job is silencing his three friends. In Job chapter 32 verse 1. Now Job will speak for five chapters. Chapters 27 through 31 contain two great speeches, Each section begins with the words, and Job took up his discourse and said, Job chapter 27 verse 1 and chapter 29 verse 1. Job speaks the language of perplexity and pain. He admits that God has vexed his soul and that he does not know the reasons for his suffering. Yet he holds on to his faith in God with integrity. Notice that he does this while freely expressing his questions and the painful condition of his soul. Now let's move on to our next stop on our Bible reading tour to the New Testament, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 12 through chapter 2, verse 11. Paul's Change of Plans For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you for we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first, so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia, and to come back to you from Macedonia, and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in Him it is always yes, for all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our Amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Chapter 2 For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice, for I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now if any anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his designs. And this concludes our reading from today's New Testament passage from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, Paul finds himself in the awkward position of having to defend himself to his own children in the Lord. Many of the Corinthian believers came to faith in Christ under his previous ministry. Now they have been deceived by false teachers and super-apostles, who came in twisting the Scriptures, deceiving them from the simplicity that is in Christ. They claimed that Paul was insincere, and that he was all talk, and that he did not have a ministry of power. They claimed that Paul was strong in his letter-writing, but weak when he appeared in person. They claimed that he was subpar because he did not charge money for his teaching, inferring that his teaching was of less quality. They also accused him of vacillating in his commitments, for he said that he would come and visit Corinth twice on his latest missionary journey, but was delayed and only visited once on that trip. His initial plan was that he was going to visit Macedonia first, then Corinth on his way back from Ephesus to Jerusalem, in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 5. However, before visiting Corinth, on his return from Ephesus, he sent Timothy to visit, in Acts chapter 19, verse 22, and 1 Corinthians 16, verses 10 through 11. Timothy brought back a report to Paul that the church at Corinth was once again in turmoil and that many Corinthian believers were turning against him. Paul decided that he would first go to Corinth to resolve the issues and then go to Macedonia in Second Corinthians chapter one verse fifteen. He resolved that he would visit the Corinthians again on his return trip from Macedonia so that they would be able to help him in his fundraising for the suffering church in Jerusalem before he travelled on with his collection to Judea. Paul's critics and enemies put a spin on Paul's change of travel plans, accusing him of not being forthright, not communicating properly, and vacillating when making decisions. These charges were not true. For the sake of the gospel, Paul had to defend himself. He would much rather talk about Christ, but the situation forced him to tell his personal story and reveal his motives. Paul explains that his yes is yes and his no is no. Yet we must make allowances for God to overrule our plans with his sovereign interventions. Some of Paul's critics compared him unfavorably to the false teachers, the super apostles, who preached and lived an extravagant prosperity gospel. They claim that Paul could not be a bona fide apostle because he suffered too many hardships and because he chose not to take financial support from the Corinthian believers. Paul wants to stand confidently before God in the final day, the judgment of believers works. He wants the Corinthians to be able to do that also. His confidence is not in his own performance, but in Christ's. He knows that Christ is his righteousness and that all the promises of God are yes and amen in him. Paul is confident in his calling. He is confident that he has the authority to speak into the lives of the Corinthian believers. His confidence is in the anointing of the Spirit on his life and ministry. We can discern Paul's heart as he writes to correct the church in chapter 2. In his previous letter, that is in 1 Corinthians, he reprimanded the church for failing to discipline the man who was involved in a sexual relationship with his stepmother. Because the man was unrepentant, they were to put him out of the membership, lest he presume that he was in fellowship with God while he was living in rebellion to the law of Christ. It appears that in the interim the man repented, and the church was now failing to forgive the man and restore him to fellowship. Satan was taking advantage of their unforgiveness and their withholding loving fellowship from him, for this Paul had to offer correction once again. Sufficient for such a one is this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary you should rather forgive and comfort him, otherwise such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him, for to this end also I wrote, so that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6-11. through Are we guilty of withholding love and forgiveness towards those who have demonstrated humble repentance? Now let's move on to our third stop today in our Bible reading tour, the Bible's songbook and prayer book, the book of Psalms, Psalm 41, verses 1 through 13. O Lord, be gracious to me. To the choir master, a Psalm of David, Psalm 41. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words, while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and Amen. Psalm 41 describes the blessedness of those who mirror God's regard for the weak. He affirms the graciousness experienced by the child of God. He or she experiences God's deliverance in times of trouble they experience God's healing and sustaining power. In contrast to the psalmist's description of God's gracious treatment towards him, he laments that his enemies wish him dead. They slander him. He finds himself a victim of their evil plots and cursing. Even his closest friend betrayed him. This brings to mind not just Ahithophel's betrayal of David, but Judas' betrayal of Christ. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Psalm 41 verse 9. Jesus would quote this verse referring to Judas betraying him in John chapter 13 verses 18 through 19. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Like Job, David the psalmist puts his trust in God's mercy and holds that trust with integrity. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity and you set me in your presence forever. Psalm 41 verse 12. Now let's move on to the book of Proverbs, the Bible's treasure chest of wisdom. Proverbs 22 verses 5 and 6. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It should be obvious that the wicked are on a dangerous path. Thorns and snares are found on their way. In contrast, those who have the discipline of wisdom are aware of the enemy's snares, and will take precautions to avoid his traps. Verse 6 champions the eternal value of proper training of children. Spiritual nurture and discipline pay off in the long run. Once a child recognizes its value, they will want to continue benefiting from it. In addition to bringing up children in the ways of the Lord with scriptural instruction, parents need to discern that God has given each child a particular bent towards contributing to the good of others with their unique interests and abilities. Once that way in the child is discovered, parents should nurture that also. Let's pray together. Lord, we are aware that to know you in the power of resurrection, we are also to know you in the fellowship of your sufferings. You prepare us with your word and protect us by your preserving power. We wait patiently for you, confident that you will deliver us in due time. You are worthy of everlasting praise and undying trust help us to testify rightly of your glorious work of salvation. In Jesus' name, Amen. This concludes our half-hour podcast today, and my prayer is that you will find it beneficial. God willing, we'll be with you tomorrow as we continue our journey through the One Year Bible. My name is David McAdam, and you can always contact me by email at podcast at newlife.org. And if you would like to know more about New Life Community Church and its ministries, or subscribe to a daily email, written copy of our commentary on the One Year Bible portion, you can go to our website, newlife.org. So until next time, God's peace be with you. Shalom.